0: Hi there, esteemed audience, and welcome to another episode of Middle Grade Ninja. I'm your host, Rob Kent. As you know, I'm the author of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees, the greatest book ever written. Uh, And the good news is you can obtain the greatest book ever written as a paperback, an audiobook, or the e-book is free free to download whenever you're listening to this wherever fine ebooks are sold. So get your hands on Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees. Come see me with cash money for the two sequels. Uh, Under the super-secret pen name Robert Kent, I've written some novels for older readers, such as my young adult novel, All Together Now, A Zombie Story, uh, and my five-volume serial horror novel in the style of Stephen King, The Book of David. Uh, The Book of David, Chapter 1, is available as a paperback, or the e-book is also free. Free to download whenever you're listening to this, wherever my ebooks are sold. And then, you know, come see me with cash money for chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5. You'll have a good time. Uh, as always, for information about the show, uh, the entire back catalog, uh, scheduling dates for who's coming up on the show, when they'll appear... Uh, you can head to middlegradeninja.com. While you're there, make sure you're reading interviews with hundreds of literary agents, authors, editors, publishing professionals, folks you'd find interesting. Uh, so, well worth your time at middlegradeninja.com. Uh, and every episode from now until November 3rd, I'm going to remind you that you need to vote. Um, my podcast isn't so precious that we can entirely avoid politics as much as I'd like to. Uh, if you've been angry these last four years, if you've been angry these uh, last however many years we've been in quarantine now, if you've sent out a tweet, if you've made a Facebook post, if you would argued with a relative, none of that means anything if you don't vote So make sure you're registered. If you uh, don't want to go to the polls in person, that makes sense. Annie Sullivan, our previous guest, just posted on social media that she would received her absentee paper ballot. Um, My wife and I are planning to vote early uh, to avoid as much of the crowd as we possibly can. Um, Make a plan. Take as many people with you to the poll. Everybody off the off the benches, everybody on the field because this is the most important election in our country's history. We cannot allow Donald Trump to stand unchecked. We cannot have four more years of this madness. You need to vote. So that's politics. Uh, Today, what a delight. Middle grade ninja. First, we are talking with a married couple. Uh, We're talking with editor Mari Kesselring and author Patrick Hewler. Uh, They tell me uh, the story of how they met, um, how they work together as uh, authors and and both uh, in in publishing. Uh, We talk about uh, Mari's publisher, North Star Editions, their submission requirements. Patrick has a new book, Read at Your Own Peril. Well worth checking out. The episode episode is an absolute charm factory, uh, and it starts right now. Uh, Patrick Hewler, uh, Mari Kesselring, how are you this evening?
1: Good. Doing good.
0: Excellent. Thank you uh, both for making time uh, away from parenting and writing and editing and publishing and everything you've got going on to to talk with me this evening. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. So uh, I try never to summarize other people's books or other people's biographies because I'll fail miserably at both. Uh, So I'm going to ask Mari if you'd start just by kind of giving esteemed audience kind of an overview of your background in publishing and then Patrick, same question.
1: Sure. Um, yeah. So I, I started my work in publishing um, working in the school library market. Um, so I was working a lot on nonfiction books for kids, um, a lot of series like biography series or like event series. Um, and I'm kind of tying in with curriculum standards. Uh, so I did that for a while. Um, and then um, more recently, I've had the opportunity to work on fiction. Um, so, I actually started by working in the, the school library market, um, doing some fiction projects as an editor um, there. And then now I work um, with North Star Editions, um, which is um, a publisher of trade books for kids. Um, so, we have two imprints that I manage Flux, which is young adult fiction, and then Jollyfish Press, which is middle grade fiction. Um, so I oversee the full editorial side of um, our production, um, so I do all the acquisitions and um, a fair amount of the editing, and yeah, so it's, it's a dream job for me, <laughs> and, and it's a lot of fun, um, yeah, and we just have a really great team um, and a lot of really talented authors that we um, have published, so it's, it's great. <laughs> Are you
0: doing content editing and, um,
1: yeah, so uh,
0: sort of, what's the word I'm struggling for, content and copy editing?
1: Copy editing, yeah. So I mostly do content, like developmental edits, where we're kind of looking at the, the full picture of a book, and then also line edits, when we're looking at just kind of the sentence level construction. Um, I don't do much copy editing um, or proofreading. We usually um, freelance the, that work out um so um so yeah so it's mostly just a lot of like back and forth and and working with the author um to kind of um, make sure that everything is cohesive and and looking good with the the plot and character arcs and all that fun stuff
0: Well, you're living the dream that sounds amazing <laughs> uh, and patrick same question to you
2: yeah so uh not an editor at all uh, author um, I went to grad school uh, at the University of Minnesota. Got my creative writing uh, degree, my MFA, uh, really in fiction. Spent three years uh, writing, actually two manuscripts, two books. Uh, the original plan was definitely not to be writing for kids. I always thought I was going to be a uh, um, primarily a short story writer of literary fiction for adults. Um, I For better or worse, I like basically thought of myself as that kind of person who would write those stories that show up in the New Yorker, which are about people who don't, nothing really happens in the stories. It's all about who they are. Um, And I love those kind of stories uh, in college. I fell in love with those kind of stories in college and thought that's what I would do. And uh, out of college, uh, I was hired to uh, write for the school library market. And uh, specifically, I I started getting books, I was asked to write books um, for reluctant readers, a high-low kind of book. So for high school uh, age content, but maybe a third or fourth or fifth grade reading level. And so I was all of a sudden, for the first time ever, thinking about things like uh, a plot and how to write a page turner and what is it that makes kids turn the pages or readers in general. And uh, it was through that that I uh, have published almost all of my books, not through the school library market, but uh, like I've I've ever since been writing books with that in mind, almost always for middle grade or YA audiences Um, and thinking about how do I write the kind of book that uh, kids burn through? They just can't wait to read the next page.
0: And now that you are a tremendous success in the world of middle grade fiction and young adult fiction, will you eventually go back to uh, short
2: stories? Yeah, I've never truly stopped. I actually have uh, uh, published several of uh, uh, stories that I both wrote in grad school and since. Um, and they are those kind of stories that I just talked about, um, about you know, the, the sort of the internal stuff that the, that's going on in characters' lives. But um it's a lot harder to write those kind of stories. I think for two reasons. Um, one, with what's going on in the world right now, it kind of the story starts to feel kind of like a middle class white problems story, and that just feels strange right now to be writing that story. Um, but more than that, I just feel so uh, busy. I'm a full time teacher, and I got a kid, and so forth, and so. I got to motivate myself to get to the computer. And, uh, so I, so it, it's more fun to, to imagine uh, fast paced, uh, action filled narratives than to sort of do the sinking in that I had to do to write the short stories, which also, you know, the short story collections are very unlikely to get picked up by agents or by publishers. And so you're kind of just doing one-offs and then waiting months and months to see if they get published in a journal. But then at the right party,
0: you get to mention it, or better yet, somebody mentions it to you. And
2: that's... (laughs) That's true. true. I don't get to have that, yeah. Like at book readings, they always feel so awkward because it's primarily adults there. And so it's like, do I really want to read this book that's for kids, out loud, to adults, you know? So the nice thing about writing for adults is that that's who shows up to those kind of things.
0: It occurs to me that I either maybe... Uh, showed some favoritism or failed to show some favoritism because obviously the middle grade and the young adult is the far superior genre. Just in case steamed <laughs> yeah. audience,
1: oh, and it wasn't in any doubt. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And we should mention that Patrick and Mari are married. So this is a middle grade ninja first uh, because no one else has been crazy enough to bring their spouse on the show with them. So hopefully this will this will (laughs) be wonderful. So my next question is uh, when did you two meet?
1: And how?
2: Well, you know, I will will say uh, I think she was smitten with me before I was smitten with her. Oh, my
1: God. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, well, we met. It's actually super kind of dorky sort of like. So we both we were both on the literary journal at our college. We went to Hanlon University and that's how we met. Like, can you think of a more like nerdy writer, editor editor like,
2: story. Sh- should we share the fun fact, like?
1: Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: so I am an identical twin, and Mari is also an identical twin. So <laughs> she was a little bit behind me in school, and so uh, we were all at Hamlin together, and that she had heard of these Hewler twins. Is that right? Yeah, is that right? so,
1: but let me clarify that I was behind you in school, because I'm younger than you. Oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say yeah, ahead of me intellectually. <laughs> that's an important point of clarification. My
1: sister and I both went to Hamlin, and then we had heard that there were identical twin boys at Hamlin like a couple years ahead of us, and so we were kind of like a, a little bit on the lookout for them, like, oh, that's interesting um so when I met him I actually kind of thought he was sort of weird <laughs> <laughs> correctly yeah but yeah we worked on the lit journal together and that's how we kind of got to know each other but we didn't actually end up dating until like we'd both been graduated for some time
2: yeah we, we were both connected. spoken for throughout college
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh and then
0: did your uh siblings uh, also date at least <laughs>
2: Go at once. No, they're not married. No, no. Unfortunately. no. <laughs> For reality reasons, I really wish that were the case. <laughs> we
1: could have had
2: our own show. But well, now that you've got progeny, and they can see how well the genes work, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't think that's how science works. <laughs> <laughs> we're English people, so we don't really know, but I don't think so either. Yeah. <laughs> and you, 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 you have a child together that's a
0: singleton, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. Thank goodness.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you worked on a, on a journal together. So before you knew anything else about each other, uh, like your you know, <laughs> soulmates, um, you knew that you were both, you, you must have shared some sort of affinity for the written word for literature.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, definitely. I would say also, like, not only were we both on a literary journal, but it was a literary art journal and we were both like definitely like literary people, you know, like, so um, I think we definitely like had the experience of, uh, like, enjoying the same stories and that sort of thing.
1: Well, and I did become, like, I always kind of thought, I mean, I always appreciated Patrick's writing um, when we were on the journal together because he was also, like, we were also in a creative writing club together. Uh, Which used to Hamlin which I started. and um, But I always liked his writing, you know, that was kind of like the first thing I noticed about him. I mean, other than, of course, he's cute. But um, <laughs> the the writing, I was always really into his stories um, when he was, and that was back when we were doing more like uh, literary fiction type of thing. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, um, I have, have uh, did did you at one point also want to write her? Have you always been editorially editorially minded?
1: Yeah. So I've I've written some. I've done some work for hire projects, some fiction, some nonfiction in the past. Um, and I do some writing on my own. I was original. My original plan was to like become a full time writer. Um, when I got out of college, but then I was kind of like, well, I I had had some internships in editing that I really liked, and I was like. Well, I would like to make it more of like my career right away, and, and not like starve in the meantime. So I um so I do still do some writing, um and you know hope to eventually um you know publish. Um, so right now I write some middle grade and some young adult. I have a couple projects that I'm I'm working on at this point.
2: So she's selling herself short. She actually is a great writer. uh, And uh, she's also a machine. I'm like totally envious of this because (laughs) uh, like uh, when she's done for higher work, you know, these are very tight deadlines you work on. And sometimes you get like series and she's like, she just like churns through these things. And meanwhile, I'm like agonizing, like what do I do next in the story? And and she just churns through and they're just these perfectly tight, beautifully written plots. Yeah,
1: we write really, like our processes are completely different. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So what, uh, what's your process then, Mari?
1: So I'm, I'm sort of more of like a planner and methodical. So I, I tend to like plan out my plots ahead of time. Um, And I think that kind of comes from my editing background too. I I don't think I'm, I'm good at just kind of going on the fly. I like to kind of know where the story is going. Um, And yeah, I mean, I think that's, I mean, in opposition to you.
2: So my whole motto is, um, I, what I just do whatever I can to keep my the, the, the fingers typing. And for me, uh, knowing where the story is going, it bores me, and so I, I don't. I'm much less likely to actually keep writing. And so I, you know, I, I do that whole obnoxious artistic thing where I'm like pretty much just going by the seat of my pants, uh, sentence by sentence, just because I want to get surpri- I want to be surprised by what happens in the story. Oh, that makes sense. And Patrick, I know you've got a new book, and I promise we're going to talk about
0: it. We're going to talk about writing, but super so rare an opportunity I have to ask uh, some of these follow-up questions. So this difference in style of writing, does that bleed over a little bit into your domestic life? For example, does does, does one of you file the taxes, pay the bills, that kind of thing?
2: Yeah, I would say oh, Mary, I, I am, I am I shocked that right that. Right. <laughs> that is the case. Um, Yeah, the the overlap is uh, complete.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's true. Yeah, but I would also say that, you know, it it makes me look good to be like the one doing the bills and taxes and things like that. But Patrick also has much more patience at a task than I do. Um, so he, for example, will play with our daughter for hours on end, where I can probably do an hour, and then kind of like, I need to do something else now. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's I think it's a good um, balance between the two of us.
2: <laughs> Yin and yang kind of thing. Yeah. Right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I won't lie. I mean, it does cause conflict sometimes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, that sounds like a great partnership. that's yeah. a uh similar to, to what mrs kent and i've got going on she's she's usually on the bills and the, and the taxes and i'm playing for hours with my child so uh oh what did i want to ask you oh uh, so with uh, obviously with the four-year-old thrown in the mix and you're both writing at different times Um, how do you navigate that? Will one of you watch while the other one writes and then you switch off or how do you, how do you make time for your writing?
2: Yeah, I think that's pretty, uh, it's pretty accurate what we do. Uh, it's kind of an amazing thing. Uh, even while we're pretty much fully quarantined right now, uh, we will realize we hardly see each other throughout the day because we're just taking shifts, you know, we just go back and forth. So, I mean, we, we can hear each other uh, clacking away at the keyboard and, you know, like if we have a question, we can ask it, but like, we're pretty much usually in, we're not in a very big house, but one's downstairs and one's upstairs. Uh, yeah, we're just yeah. doing shifts right now.
1: Well, we don't, and we don't always really know what each other is working on either. Like, I, I will find out that Patrick's been working on something and I won't know much about it um, just because we. it's just not something that we have a ton of time to discuss <laughs> right now. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, when we first were dating, we were always sharing projects, sending with each things other back and, and
1: forth all the time. Yeah but it's a little harder now.
2: (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful.
0: Your passion for art tied in with your love for each other. Oh my God, it's like a, it's a poem. (laughs) Uh, And do you swap critiques or edit each other at this point?
2: Yes, but not nearly enough these days. Not
1: much now. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, But I really think that that's, well, Mari's actually the best editor I've ever had. So that's why I'm saying not nearly enough. Um, (laughs) This is great. Uh, do you know William Maxwell? He was like an, an, um, the editor of New Yorker and uh, for years and years, and he wrote a book, uh, So Long, See Tomorrow. Anyway, uh, this is a great quote that I'm not going to get exactly right, but um, he was apparently so gentle and agile with his editing that he often would make supposedly somewhat substantial changes and the reader and the writer wouldn't notice. Like, you know, they, like he was so in tune and Mari really takes the time to like, try to figure out what kind of story am I trying to tell or what are her authors trying to say? This isn't supposed to be a sales pitch, by the way, this is just real, like this is... Um, early on in our relationship, she did quite a bit of editing in my work and I just always felt like emboldened without feeling like she was cheating me out of like actually telling me what she really thought. And I don't think I've ever, done, nice. it, I
1: don't
2: think I've ever done that for you, so... <laughs>
1: <laughs> Patrick, I, I'd say i I'd bounce ideas off Patrick, like I'll be like, what do you think of this, you know, idea for a kind of like a plot or something, that's kind of where I am right now with my writing is I'm, I'm planning some projects. Um, so because he's so good with like ideas and like interest level of things that I just find it really helpful to get his, his insights on that kind of stuff. So Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I would, I would just say to the, in, in response to Patrick, like I always believe that the, as an editor, I always believe that the book belongs to the author. And so I always kind of bring that mindset into editing and thinking about what they want the book to be and just trying to make it the best, um, the best it can be within their vision. Um, so, uh,
0: oh. <laughs> yeah, it sure does. Well, that sounds like an incredibly uh, productive and almost professional, uh, in, that, in that respect, um, part, part of your relationship, you're both professional authors, you take it, so there's no, got your notes earlier, honey, oh, I burned dinner,
2: just yours, no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we do, like, I think there are probably uh, pluses and drawbacks to, one of them is like lack of money is a drawback, <laughs> but, um, to being married to somebody with similar interests, uh, literary interests. But one of the, I think the huge advantages is that, um, you know, Mari totally gets it when I feel like I'm just like absolutely on fire with an idea and I got to go to the computer and get it down. And, uh, and I think hopefully she would feel like I do the same thing. Like yeah. that's, that's the time when we like say, I got the kid, you go do your thing. And I think that's hard for all uh, the rest of the world to them to understand.
1: Yeah. Well, that, that is, that is true. And I also say that we don't always like what each other writes either, you know, or, you know, like, you don't, <laughs> So, and we have very kind of different styles really as writers and different interests too. So it's, you know, it's, I don't know, I think that just kind of adds to what we can, you know, what kind of feedback we can give each other.
0: And is it like, uh, so I've heard of, of, of relationships between actors where one of them will have an audition that goes well and go on to get the part while the other ones had three auditions all and so close but didn't work out. And now there's just uncomfortable silence at the, at the dinner table. I'm so happy for you. Uh, so I'm assuming throughout the years one of you's had good publishing news and then the other one that, tends to trade off.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I like to think we're mostly just kind of, like, you know, supporting each other. But um, I just feel like I'm always talking first. You, but, um,
1: no, go ahead. Uh,
2: but, um, yeah, I think for the most part, we are just, like, supportive of each other. She knows that, for instance, sometimes she'll be talking about her job. And even though I love my job and I'm an English teacher, high school English teacher, um, like, she'll look at me and be like, you're jealous of what I'm telling you right now, aren't you? Like, you know, she has a really cool job <laughs> often, and I, I do sometimes feel jealous of that.
1: Yeah, and I think I had somebody tell me once, when like right before we got married, that like sometimes you might need to like take a walk <laughs> when when you're when you're in professions that are so similar and your experiences are going to be different, you know. And that is, I mean, I think for the most part, um, you know, like Patrick says, we try to be supportive of each other, and 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 we also understand kind of like all the emotions involved in, um, you know being a writer and trying to get a story on paper and then trying to publish a story or a book and and all the kind of ups and downs that go with that so I think that we can support each other in that way um because we we get it you know
0: this is the middle grade ninja podcast not marriage counseling with Rob so I promise we're <laughs> we're not going <gonna> uh, <laughs> to transition to talking uh, writing and publishing <laughs> um so Mari let's uh, start with you tell us about is it North Star Editions when did you, did you go straight from college to them or how did you get hooked up with this really cool job?
1: Yeah. So, um, I had been working, um, on fiction projects in the school library market. Um, and then, um, I ended up working at, um, North Star Editions about five years ago. Um, it was a new company that was built to, um, publish trade fiction basically, but, um, the first imprint that we worked on was Flux, which actually was previously owned by another Minnesota publisher, Llewellyn. And so North Star Editions, um, they were looking to sell, Llewellyn was looking to sell Flux and they and North Star Editions purchased Flux. And so that was when I came on. Um, and that was um, right after I had my daughter. <laughs> so it was like 2006, 2016, 16. there you go, 2016. Yeah, so, um, and and yeah so that's how i got into the fiction i um you know and i got hired on as um managing editor of fiction with the idea of kind of like you know coming here and like um you know let's acquire some more books in young adult um and that was july and then that um october we ended up um acquiring another imprint Jollyfish press uh, which is middle grade fiction um, and they had been previously owned um, by a Utah-based um, company. And so it was kind of unexpected. We weren't really, um, hadn't been planning on, on doing that, on purchasing that imprint, but um, the imprint was folding and we saw it as a great opportunity to bring on some new books and, um, and kind of jump right in. So so that was great because um, I was very excited about working in, in young adult, I've always loved young adult. Um, but, um, I also have had more experience on the middle grade kind of level of things, so um, it was really exciting to to bring that in and you know since then, we publish um, about ten books um, per season, so you know around five in each imprint, uh, so about around twenty fifteen to twenty a year um, and um, yeah so it 's been great we 've been able to continue to build the title list and um, we've gotten lots of good starred reviews and all that kind of fun stuff. So, um, so yeah, that's that's kind of how I got into it.
0: <laughs> when you come home and you say, "Honey, good news! I'm I'm going to be a managing director," uh, Patrick, you just pull out. Well, here's all
2: of my back catalog, all my manuscripts that that, that could immediately needed. fill slots. Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, I would never think such things. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I don't say such things out loud very, <laughs> but yeah, I will say that. Uh, I don't know how if you've read uh, Flux um, or Jolly Fish, but they do just make great-looking and highly-reviewed books, and so yeah, it's a it definitely that struck that. When she got that job, it wasn't like I was publishing left and right, so of course it was like, yeah, I got all I got tomes and tomes to hand over to you. You know, you're a new immigrant. you need uh, you need some stuff, but. We didn't actually
1: do that. <laughs> yeah, we had we did have a discussion about it because he's a great writer and I would love to publish him, but um at the end of the day we were kind of like, This it feels like a conflict of interest. It just is not a good idea. <laughs> um and it's tough because obviously he has great work that I would like to have, but there's a lot of great work out there. Um and and yeah, so we've kind of had to be a little bit careful about that just because it it just didn't feel right. <laughs>
2: I mean, to me either. It felt so right and so wrong at the same time. <laughs> <but> yeah, <laughs> no, I, I very much agree that... Uh, even, get that I, contract, I, I, worry about how it feels later. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the part of is like, hey, who cares if this isn't published? But I will say that it would have felt also diminished for me, you know? Like, I, I would have always had to say, like, this is my wife's... Not like I'm, I'm proud of her, but, like, <laughs> people would always say, like, oh, I see how that happens. That's nepotism, yeah.
1: Yeah, so. we just don't want that. <laughs>
2: No, I'm teasing you absolutely made the right call. <laughs>
0: Makes sense. Uh, so, Mario, for all of a esteemed audience who's listening, who thinks, well, that sounds like a wonderful publisher. I'm pulling up the website uh, as I listen to the podcast, and I want to get involved. What types of projects are you looking for right now?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, since this is middle grade, I'll talk about Jollyfish Press um, Great. in the interest of time. Um, but Flex is also always looking for um, manuscripts. Um, So we have open submissions. Um, We do not require an author to have an agent to submit to us, which is a little bit unusual. Um, As an independent publisher, we just have a lot of great flexibility in that area. Um, But we do, so we accept agented and unagented manuscripts. And um, for kind of like what we're looking for for Jollyfish Press right now, um, I'm looking for more contemporary um, middle grade. Um, And in particular, um, looking for own voices stories. So stories where the author has a similar background or experience as the character they're writing about. um, And that includes books written by diverse authors, or, uh, or um, of diverse perspectives. Um, and in addition to that, um, I'm also looking for uh, middle grade humor that is very tricky to do, <laughs> to write books that are funny for kids and that kids actually think are funny. Um, but we feel like there's a really good market for, for middle grade humor, and so we'd love to see more of that. Um, uh, We've still we we have done a lot of um, or a fair amount of middle grade um, kind of fantasy, both more contemporary and then kind of more like high fantasy, and or or also just kind of like a magical realism type stories. Um, so we're still looking for that. Um, and and yeah, I would say with Jollyfish Press, um, because we're an independent um, publisher, we're often looking for something that is different and stands out. Um, because um, we have a smaller, somewhat smaller reach than the big five, <laughs> um, we want something that's really going to um, surprise readers. So, um, I actually brought a couple of examples. Of this book, um, I want to make sure I just mention this. So, this is actually the art copy, but it's called Story Magic and it's written by Lauren Gale. And it is coming out in October, um, end of October. Um, and this is really kind of a good example. Um, so it's a, a high fantasy um, set in a magical world um, with um, this character here. And in this world, magic is created through storytelling. So in order to grant, ma- grant magic to a spell, you have to first tell a story aloud. Um, so it's a really cool book because um, this character ends up doing some um, spells and magic uh, working and in order to do that every time she has to tell a different story. So there's a lot of stories within stories. Um, it also has an added um, interest point in where in this um, world, girls and women are not allowed to do magic. So they're not allowed to tell the stories to make magic. Um, it's a belief that that's bad luck and like bad things will happen if they do. Um, but this, um, this protagonist begins to kind of question that in this story, so really great book. I just wanted to mention it because it's coming out in October. So so yeah, so we often, you know, like story magic look for something that, um, you know, is a, a story that can be relatable to people but also has an interesting twist like that storytelling angle, you know, something different that you might um, not always um, see. So, so we're open to submissions. Um, you can look on the Jolly Fish Press website um, and find out um what we're looking for um and and yeah and how to submit so we'd love to see think
0: jollypress.com
1: jollyfishpress.com
0: and if you like little great humor i don't know if you ever read this series called um uh, stew stories uh, but it was quite hilarious <laughs> <laughs> What a beautiful transition because Patrick Hewler, I believe you have a new book available. Uh, so please tell us about your newest book, Read at Your Own Peril.
2: I do indeed. I, I, I will do the, the Mari thing. I'll hold it up. <laughs> beautiful. Uh, it's going to be very awkward because I like to gesture, so pretty soon it's going to get like this. And but I'll, <laughs> uh, um, So the idea behind Read at Your Own Peril is uh, it's sort of a dystopian story in which there is a a coma outbreak and it turns out that uh or or at least the the world seems to believe that um students are literally going into comas because they are reading like reading causes comas and so reading is quickly banned made illegal you, uh, you're a criminal if you read um the reason i came up with the book uh was again uh, Thinking like, what makes students read? Um, I'm, like I said, I'm an English teacher as well, and so I'm always thinking about why is it that some students read? And I think that as a society, we do a pretty good job, I call it like the librarian way of getting kids to read, which is to say that it is safe, and uh, good for you, and warm, and like there's a lot, there's a very welcoming message that people who are dedicated to reading give to kids. And I was thinking, why doesn't that work sometimes? And I think one of the answers is because we also want reading to be dangerous and thrilling and even illicit, Um, like we want a lot of things to be that way. Um, And so um, I was definitely trying to work with this metaphor without hopefully the reader necessarily realizing it's a metaphor of what it feels like when you're not a confident reader to be told to read, which is this idea of your eyelids getting so heavy that they're gonna close, your eyes glazing over, getting bored, and so I literalized that, or metaphor, I don't know what the right way to put it, that, but I, literally the, the students go into comas, and the idea is that you're taking a risk in reading this book. Um, I'll tell you, it's been really fun, Like, like. I've never really liked promoting uh, my stuff, even though it's kind of a necessary evil. And it's been really fun promoting this one for that reason, because I can use that same silly reverse psychology, telling people, don't you dare read this book. Um, and hopefully, you know, they, they feel like, I do want to read this book because of that. It. Well,
0: it's very fun. As, uh, as I was reading, I was like, oh my God, am I myself risking a coma <laughs> <laughs> by, by engaging with your novel? <laughs> I think uh, meta, meta, metaphor to size is, uh, is the word we're going to go with. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to nominate that into the we're world. world we're all word We all agree.
2: I think that's how English works anyway, right? Don't we actually just kind of agree on it? And then we get to use that, get that as a word. Much.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> if I get the both of you, plus like maybe 20 more people, we could probably get it in Webster's. <laughs> <laughs> it in the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh,
1: and
0: then uh, who is the ideal reader for Read It's Your Own Peril?
2: Well, the idea, I, I really believe that I, I, I hope that I've written a book that like pretty much anyone who is sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade could read it and uh, and dig it. There's a little bit of a sort of romance in there, um, despite it being hopefully uh, in a, a little bit scary. Uh, I don't think that it's, um, once you actually get into it, I don't think it's the point where uh, many readers would close the book. They're so scared, you know, um, and so hopefully, but I admit that like my dream reader is the kind of reader who thinks they don't like reading and they find this book and they tear through it and they and they are able to say not only do they read, but they read a whole book and they read a whole book quickly. Um, you know, that's kinda like but then again now that I'm saying that, then I'm like I've been told that's like, why would you ever want to market the ones who don't read? So also people kids who like reading will, will like it too. <laughs> <laughs> but um but I that that is uh I, I really think that um you know, as an English teacher, it's hard not to think about those students who don't seem to tap into the energy of a book that you're teaching. And why is that? And so I'm just, I think this is the kind of book where a student could independently tap into that energy.
0: How do you fight off despair if you're uh, working with kids? You know, they're not finding Updike interesting or they're not finding uh, uh, Twain yeah. interesting. What what hope do the rest of us have?
2: <laughs> right. Well, one thing I would say is, um, I, I think there's a point in my teaching career, um, I've been teaching a while actually now, um, where I found myself arguing too much with students, being like, no, you're wrong. And here's why you're wrong. And so I finally did like, do a little bit of a uh, reflection and then realize, now wait a minute, like, is that really why I liked reading? Did I like reading because adults told me uh, that, no, this is good, you're wrong? <laughs> and so I try not to fight that, you know? Um, uh, we actually, my high school is uh, during this pandemic, at least, and I hope it extends longer. We are actually uh, trying to do a independent reading workshop model, uh, like throughout the, this semester. Um, We're currently at a distance and we'll see if we end up uh, going to hybrid or what, but we're, that's what we have adopted. And I'm, you know, I was one of the people who proponents of that. I really think that like uh, uh, we make a mistake when we say, no, 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 we got to read these four texts this year. And instead I want to think, you know, um, a reading workshop. The idea is uh, the students who arrive who already like reading instead of reading four to six books will read literally hundreds in a year. And the students who, uh, 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 claim not to like reading hopefully will like it more by the end and also just by the nature of how the classroom is set up will hopefully have read 15 20 books in a year so it just feels like a win-win if we if we can sell it to our students Um, so I'm just a big believer in uh, uh, what matters most is just that you're uh, uh, churning through the pages as a reader so are you teaching the students virtually are you back in person
0: or on your way back in person
2: Uh, virtually. Yeah. And, um, we'll see how long that lasts, but, um, my school, I, I think they've made the right call and they've done a really good job of actually surveying, uh, the families and figuring out what the families want to do, asking us and actually listening to our input. And I think that, um, both families and, uh, teachers just felt like, uh, this was sad. Like we all got in, none of us got into teaching to be miles away from our students. Um, but this was just where we are right now and what we need to do. Um, for everybody's sake. And
0: Mari, uh, same question. How is, uh, now that we're talking COVID-19 and the pandemic, because eventually all conversations get there. This year, we're talking either pandemic or did you know there's an election? That's coming (laughs) up too. So those two things eventually will rear their their ugly head in any conversation. How is that impacting North Star Editions and how is that impacting what you do?
1: Yeah, um, so we've been able to kind of, keep on keeping on. Um, we ha- we're all working remotely. Um, so, so um, I mean, it, with, with publishing, I, th- I think it's a little bit easier than some other professions to work remotely. A lot of the people that we work with were already working remotely and obviously I don't, you know, I don't even have any um, authors currently working for me that live in my state. Um, so always contacting them via phone and email anyway. Um, but the, I think one of the big things that has happened in relation to COVID-19 was we had to move some pub dates out. So the publication date. So we had a lot of books that we were planning to release in the spring. And just because everything was so kind of tumultuous um, during the spring we were concerned that it might not be a good book-buying time, and people might not be buying books. Um, so, um, And we were also hoping that by moving pub dates out, our, some of our authors might be able to do in-person events um, when things aren't so much in lockdown, which is something that um, is really important to a lot of authors, and also just a good place to drive sales for a book. Um, So, we ended up moving out the pub dates for several books, um, some into this fall season. And you know, unfortunately, a lot of those authors still aren't able to do in person events. Um, But I think that um, they, I think people kind of figured things out a little bit more. And so they have opportunities to do more virtual things that everyone's a little bit more comfortable with now than they might have been in the spring. Um, And then we also have. A couple books that got moved even further out into spring 2021, Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the state of the world is at that point, you know, and maybe they will have the chance to do some more in-person events. But yeah, it's been, you know, it's been, I think, just like for everybody, it's been a challenging time um, for publishers, just like any other companies, so, except for, you know, grocery stores. that are just monetarily anyway doing very well though i feel bad for the people who have to to report to work there right now and
2: jeff bezos
1: yeah let's not talk about (laughs) him
0: (laughs) several billionaires have have, have done quite well throughout the pandemic so (laughs) (laughs) Uh, good guillotine we could sort out this uh, wealth inequality problem anyway (laughs) um Talking about making authors more wealthy, let's talk promotion strategies during quarantine. So Mari, I'll start with you and then we'll come back to Patrick who's actively promoting a book.
2: So Mari.
1: Yeah, so, um, yeah, so it's just been different. Um, You know, we've always kind of done a lot of promotion um, through like Instagram and, um, you know, other social media um, opportunities, so we do Book trailers for all our books, and um, we do sometimes giveaways for like retweeting the book trailer. So that kind of goes up on social media. So we've already, we already were always kind of using social media um, as a as one of our t- kind of top um, marketing opportunities. Um, so really, um, the thing that's changed the most is that kind of in-person event type thing, and whether or not that's something that can happen. Um, I know we've had some authors do virtual, um, events for their book release. And, um, I think that's worked fairly well, but it's just not the same thing, you know, as being in person and, you know, the author being able to like meet the author one-on-one and they like, you know, sign a book. Um, the other thing that has been, um, a challenge is that a lot of the big, um, book events were canceled, you know, so we had Book Expo in June where, you know, there are several authors that were planning to go to that with us, and we were gonna have a booth and everything, and that got canceled, you know, so those opportunities where you're um, have the opportunity to make a lot of connections with booksellers, um, there's just um, less of that now.
0: If <laughs> oh, are, are you're not able to Oh, it wouldn't be the same to try and hold massive Zoom events then everyone yeah. will be just be saying you talk first don't you talk first that's not gonna be yeah. a good <laughs> yeah
1: well, and apparently frankfurt which is this big you know book selling event um is gonna be totally virtual this year and so and like i've already set up some meetings with like um with some people in related to that and it's like the time zones are all different because that's where like a lot of international publishers like get together and you have the opportunity to like acquire books that were published in another um in another uh country so like often the UK for us um and we've only done a little bit of that but it's funny because it's like okay I have this UK publisher you know who wants to have a meeting with me but then it's like okay well what's the time zone difference <laughs> you know like who's gonna be up late or what so it's it's just it's a whole new world
0: <laughs> ah and patrick how are your exploits going so far with marketing other than you you've just appeared on the greatest podcast you could ever appear on so that part excellent and
2: amazing right, other, other than, than this <laughs> when will i be able to go to the new york times and see that i'm on the bestseller list is that the Colin day this thing
0: be airs like two two weeks after, I, I would imagine that's right. enough time. Get that ninja bounce, I think they call it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you definitely call it that. I can tell. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that uh, marketing has always been, uh, I'm not saying anything profound here, but uh, for any uh, author, which I think is almost all authors, even those from the big five who has to do much of their own marketing. It's, it's not a natural thing. Even I'm a fairly social person, but it's still not a natural thing. It's also difficult when you're working full time. Um, so definitely uh, the state of the world right now has meant that, like, I'm doing I'm not doing any in-person stuff. Like, I haven't got any tours. I haven't done a book launch. I haven't gone to the expo kind of things. But I have to say part of it um, has actually been more fun, I've realized. And um I think that there are two reasons for that. One is there's sort of a, just a, oh, what the heck, I'll try this sort of energy. You know, like I can't do the normal things that I would do. So I felt like somehow like more, like might as well just try and fail at stuff. And then that that kind of really, the second thing, which is um, I've like, it, I felt like I've won more, like not just creative, but um I've had to learn. I'm now. I'm. I'm a technophobe, and I've had to learn how to be more comfortable with technology and try things and, um, you know, uh, use Photoshop very badly and then make the bad Photoshop part of the joke. You know, like how do I how do I use the limited skills I have and like sort of make a meta? joke, here I am, doing college professor speak with meta. But um, but make a joke on, on my own on myself, um, in a way that might. Actually, pushed the brand of the book a little bit.
0: No so. worries. Uh, the middle grade ninja esteemed audience is extremely sophisticated. So we can throw words out like metaphor horror, horror, size or whatever I decided oh, was our new word it. and they're,
2: they're going to have no trouble following. I it. thought you were just saying that they were <laughs> entirely uh, uh, turned off by me saying I was a technophobe and they'll never buy my book. But
1: uh, <laughs> no. You <laughs> write on a typewriter. Like if you could. Wouldn't this, you? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, Plus
2: the romance of the typewriter, man. That, yeah, that's great.
0: I think it's all about to get turned around for you. You're going to become a tech lover and a germaphobe. I think that's where we're all headed. (laughs) 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 And then I did want to ask you a little bit about uh, your style. And I'll start with you because I've just been uh, reading your book, but uh, Mari, it's not lost on me that you are an editor. So we will be back to talk with you about style as well. Um, But I noticed that you do multiple short sentence paragraphs. Your paragraphs are one to two sentences. Your chapters are extremely short. I'm getting that hit of dopamine frequently as I'm reading. Oh, look at me, look how fast I can read. So what is, uh, obviously that's intentional because you're going after reluctant readers and you're trying to make great readers feel even better about themselves. Um, so what um, what's your rule of thumb for how frequently you should paragraph, how frequently you should chapter, or do you have one?
2: yeah um so I think this book is more severely what you were just talking about than any book I've ever written uh, more like one sentence paragraphs and and, and that sort of thing uh, Ian it like a couple sentence long uh, a chapter every once in a while um, so I've thought a lot about this kind of stuff as I suppose readers uh, writers tend to um, when I was um, in grad school when I was writing uh, uh, sophisticated stories for literary adults um, I, th- I thought of, like, breaks as only being for really one reason, which was uh, a change of um, uh, a s- space or time in the story. Like, it, it was almost like cheating. Like, I, would ne- I never use cliffhangers and stuff like that. Um, and then I got into this, like, uh, for higher writing of, for reluctant readers, And I started to think very seriously about that, like to be proud of that, like, how am I going to keep readers reading? And so I started thinking of not only would I change, not only would I have space for uh, uh, time and emotional. uh, um, uh, As a creative writing teacher, I used to say this. I'm trying to get this right. Breaks used to only be for um, time changes or emotional uh, changes. changes, perspective changes. Um, all of a sudden now I was, I was ending sent, like midway through a chapter, I would just end the chapter because I wanted the, like it was a cliffhanger and I wanted the, the reader to have to turn to the next chap, uh, next page. And then I uh, started reading um, uh, books like the, the, the poem, the books in, poet, in poem form, like uh, Kwame Alexander's uh, The Crossover. And I started to see breaks for poetry reasons, for image reasons. And so this book is actually an attempt, like I now make line breaks for all of those reasons and any of them are fine. It doesn't matter because all of those are reasons that keep the, the, it seems to me a reader, Jumping to the next, to the next. And so I will stop because uh, a character or uh, the plot has changed gears. I will uh, stop and break it up because uh, I, I want to force the reader to turn the page. And I will stop because I think that I've landed on a particularly interesting image, you know, like you would with a poem or something. Uh, and I want it just to linger there. So that's how I think of it. I'm just like, no matter what the reason is, it's, 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 it's whatever makes the reader move to the next thing.
0: Do you use uh, beta readers to, to get confirmation that, that you've accomplished that, or when do you know you've done it?
2: Yeah, so I have a uh, well, I have this twin brother of mine, um, and he teaches middle school. And so I, whenever I'm feeling pretty good about a draft, I'm starting to feel confident. Then I then I think, oh, I better have someone, you know, tell me that I'm wrong. Kids, I better have kids tell me that I'm wrong. And so I give my stuff to him, and then he. Uh, shares it with his students quite often. Um, He's also a writer, I should say that. I should give him a plug and has a book coming out in a month. Um, But uh, so I I give my stuff to him and uh, he shows it to his students and then they uh, um, give him reviews and they they send them back to me. So I'm really lucky that I have immediate access to that kind of readership.
0: I want to come back in my next life with you. you got an editor there in the house. You've got your brother getting your student feedback. That's – got the you, – you're the spot.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you and your brother ever uh, – do you ever yeah. feel like I want to We're teach sure. uh, middle school, he wants to teach high school, and then you swap? I mean, who would
2: know, right? Yeah, basically what I say is um, <laughs> Andy, my brother Andy Hewler, uh, is uh, just like me, except he's, like, he's two inches shorter. And, and he's just a little bit behind me in success. Like I, I taught college for a while and he's never taught, he was, back then he was teaching high school so he couldn't quite be me. And uh, now, now I teach high school, teaches uh, middle school so I always say that he like is always trying to be me but he's always just a little bit behind. Um, but yeah, he's got a middle grade book coming out in a month uh, called Life in Increments, Andy Hewler, it, it's a great book.
1: Oh, congratulations
2: Andy, that's huge. <laughs> Oh yeah, and, uh, he was born first by three minutes. So it's a sore subject. <laughs> I, I actually was born with a black eye. I should just say that so that your readers know this, and that's because uh, the theory is uh, that uh, my twin brother uh, kicked me right in the eye on the way out. So that's not that's one of my fun facts.
1: Born with a black eye. Born with but a
2: black Patrick eye. Patrick
1: born with a like,
2: black eye. Yeah, that whole all <laughs> music, I just push that to the limit, man. <laughs>
0: ah and oh look at our time it's flying by because i want to get your take on style but i also have to ask about flying saucers what to do is there time for both uh what you know quickly Mario? what are the biggest tips that you're giving uh writers of middle grade fiction for style um what what are the biggest mistakes you're seeing writers make
1: oh boy (laughs) um well um Oh, I don't know. Um, I think, you know, I think to go to Patrick's point of of writing a story that moves, like that's always been something that's important to me too. um, And writing a story that's going to keep the the reader's interest. And middle grade, I feel, is one of the hardest things to write um, because um, often it's written in the third person, not always, but often. um, And so you already have some distance from the characters and, you're also in, in a young adult book, um, you're dealing more you generally speaking, you're dealing a lot more with kind of the internal experience of a character. I mean, there might be things going on around them that are important and moving the plot, but there's um, more of kind of you know, the internal and them looking inward and the idea of like who am I and how do I fit into this world um and in middle grade it, it can go that way um but the the plot and pacing of the plot becomes even more important in middle grade um because um the story tends to take um the, the main focus uh, of the plot but not always you know so i always say that because you just you know like i think that there's a lot of books that um you know especially recently I feel like middle grade has been getting like more elevated um, in terms of of kind of moving almost into the like lower YA sphere at times and looking more um, at kind of big emotional challenges that that characters are having. Um, So that's what I would say. Also middle grade is generally generally speaking shorter. um, And so you're fitting more into this shorter package and that's really challenging. I mean, I just always like, I mean, I think middle grade is just, it's very challenging to write a perfect middle grade story Um, at the same time I think some of the things I'm seeing I think the thing I see mostly most in acquisitions that that just is always sort of like you know kind of an automatic no is if it just sounds like a story that I've heard before you know Um, and I think that a lot of writers as they're learning um you know the craft and you know maybe on their first couple books um, often try to model off the things that they like or the things that they've seen sell well, um, and I find the most impactful stories are the ones that, as kind of cheesy as it sounds, are the ones that come from like the author's heart and their author's experience, because um, they just tend to be more engaging and and also stand out more because everybody's experience is different in life, and so yeah. Um, I guess that's, that's what I would say. Um, yeah. The other thing is, you know, we're always looking for diversity, um, in the books that we publish. And, um, so that's something that is always part of the conversation when we're looking at a book.
0: Mari Kesselring, have you ever seen a flying saucer and or a ghost?
1: A ghost? Oh, okay. No, no. But I believe that they exist, both of those
2: things. <laughs> well, keep an eye I, I, out. Hopefully you'll you'll see one. <laughs> yeah, Patrick, same I'll question.
1: Show. Someday.
2: Now you shouldn't end with me on this because I'm gonna give you the most buzzkill answer. Not only have I not seen them, but because I haven't seen them, I don't believe in them. <laughs> like like I'm I'm yeah. to the point where I have friends who like will tell me, like, really uh, powerful stories about their experience with a ghost, and I'll just feel terrible because I'll be like, "You're my good friend who I trust completely, and I still don't believe you." What <laughs> like,
1: about UFOs? I mean, we can't be the only ones here,
2: uh, right? But that doesn't mean that they're flying saucers. <laughs> like, <laughs> I totally agree <laughs> that like it's impossible for me to fathom that we're the only life form, but that they, you know, they they go around on frisbees is hard for me to.
1: Well, it doesn't have to be a frisbee. Thing. <laughs>
0: I love that we got to all those questions about your work habits, your life habits, no problem, no problem. Flying saucer question, just a little bit of friction. Interesting.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll
0: keep talking about this after the story. Yeah.
1: We do, yeah.
0: <laughs> you know what, I think flying saucers are getting to a point, now that the Pentagon's confirming, we're, we're probably going to be in a spot where I, I no longer have leave comes into it. It'll just be another fact of life, is my thought. Um, but Doing this podcast, I've had heard enough ghost stories, and I'm starting to come around on ghosts. Like, ah, interesting.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I well, thank you both uh, so much for for being here this evening. It's been a wonderful uh, conversation. I'm going to end with the uh, last question, and we'll we'll call it a night because I know we're right up against uh, that deadline we set. Oh yes.
1: Could I do one quick little personal plug?
0: <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Oh yeah, you've got a workshop coming up, and I totally forgot yes, to um, cue you up. Please
1: let well, to mention um, I'm teaching a class. It's completely virtual, so anyone from the United States or I suppose the world um, could um, sign up for this course. Um, and it's through the Loft Literary Center, which is a Minnesota-based um, uh, nonprofit. And um, so you can go to their website, which I believe is theloft.org, um, or you can also check out my Twitter um, to see. I've been posting about it, um, but it is called The Journey to Publication um, Tips and Tricks for Young or for Kid Lit Authors. Um, So, I'm going to be talking about um, some kind of best practices that I've seen um, for authors who are interested in getting published. Um, The nice thing about the course is it's it's kind of a go at your own pace, there's no like, um, you know, set time where you have to be online, um, just kind of a list of things to do each week and some information from me. Um, and I've also set it up so that um, it can appeal to a lot of auth- authors at a lot of different stages in their process. So um, if you're an author who just has um, a book, that a manuscript ready, and you're starting to think about publishing and you're wanting some guidance, it would be great for you. Um, if you're working on a project right now and you're not quite ready um, to be looking at publishing, but you kind of want to start looking ahead to that, um, it can be a really great motivating um, and helpful resource for you. So, um, again, it's with the Loft Literary Center, and it's called The Journey to Publication. Um, so, check it out.
0: <laughs> and if folks want to learn more on your Twitter timeline, where would they follow you on Twitter?
1: Um, my, my Twitter is just my first name and my last name, Mari Kesselring, so you can find me.
0: Uh, Patrick, where would we find you on Twitter?
2: I think I'm at Patrick Hewler. I'm not real good at Twitter, I'm not going to lie. I'm <laughs> <that> not <technophone> thing. <laughs> I pretty much uh, break the whole author rule, which is that I, like, end up uh, retweeting political things. So if you don't want to, you know, if, if your politics aren't mine, maybe <laughs> don't go there. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I have a I'm, – I'm, I'm active, actually, mostly on uh, the Book of Face. That's what I call Facebook. Uh, I have my own author page there and uh, do quite a bit of promotion there.
0: That's where I go off about politics, so. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Gotta
1: have an outlet. (laughs) Uh, Then, of
0: course, everyone can find you at uh, patrickhewler.com. Is that right? Yep, that's right. So uh, my last question uh, is always some variation of if you could go back and give yourself a younger version of yourself, some crucial bit of advice that would have made a difference that would have made your path easier and might make an easier path for all the uh, writers and would-be writers who are listening to us um aside from make sure you sign up for maria's workshop <laughs> that's gonna be essential stuff uh, what would you like to go back and, and tell them i'll let you guys decide who goes first do you have uh, you go first okay. do you, you have an answer
2: though?
1: i do okay yeah. you go first
2: okay this is a uh something that i got from uh one of my uh writing teachers several years ago but um what she said was when you're writing a story and you're stuck and you're trying to figure out, should I have this happen or should I have this happen? I just can't decide what do I do next. Should I do this or should I do this? And how the way she put it is, should I do a, or should I do B? She said, the answer is almost certainly neither. You should do C. You should come up with a a different way. So when you're at a crossroads and you think you, should I do this? Now, if I do this, then I'll be uh, 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 shortchanging this character. But if I do this, I'll be sh- forget that and come up with a brand new way of doing it. Um, and that has just been a really, really helpful insight for me as a writer. Um, that I almost always, if I'm just hitting my head against the wall trying to figure out what to do, I'm making, I'm, 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 even if I don't even realize I'm doing it consciously, I'm giving myself too few choices. And so if you're choosing between A or B, forget it. Choose C instead. That's great stuff. Mari, have you got something to top
1: it? I don't know if it tops it, but um, (laughs) (laughs) mine's sort of more like it's writer advice, but also kind of career advice. Um, So if I could go back and tell myself, you know, here's a little bit of advice for you, um, I would tell myself to speak up. Um, I think it's really common for writers and editors to be people who are a little bit more reserved or introverted or shy Um, and because of this they sometimes have a hard time kind of you know showing their talents to the world Um, and so I think that that's something that um, a lot of writers and and editors um, don't really realize and that's that like you're you're gonna have to come out of your shell a little bit you know and that you know it's worth it it's really worth it and um and you can start on the writing side you can write out you know what your thoughts are but eventually you're gonna have to stand up and and say them um and and because that's really how people listen um so i think that um you know so i would just say speak up and you know and ask questions and learn um and, you know, and don't you know? Just don't box yourself in. Be open to all opportunity.
0: I'm going to call that a draw. Those are both excellent pieces of <laughs> advice that everyone listening should uh, immediately uh, enact both. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Patrick, Mari, Mari, Patrick, thank you so much uh, for for making the time again for being here. This was wonderful. Uh, I, I feel like we crushed it. We'll have to do it again sometime. Uh, As always, esteemed audience, uh, find me at middlegradeninja.com. Check out interviews with hundreds of authors, publishing professionals, thousands. Uh, At this point, folks, you'd find interesting as well as the back catalog of the show. Download your free copy of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees. And God willing, I'm alive. I'll see you next week.